You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. General. We are discovered. Good. Wait! I'm not built like other men. Generals gathered in their masses. Move along now. Those in power only see me as a brute, unfit for higher office. But I follow in the footsteps of Alexander the Great and Caesar. Evil minds that plot destruction. If you look down, you'll see a surprise. Once you see it, you will always want it. Sorcerer of death construction. I must warn you. I will not lead a second in command. I will win by fire. I'm destined for greatness. I found the crown of France in the gutter and placed it atop my own head. You want to be great. You are nothing without me. Say it. I believe I speak for all of us. We will all sleep again without this vermin. Whose country are we in? there everyone at home and welcome to another episode of the earth station one podcast this is gonna be an interesting one this is looking at a historical film that is you know had a lot of potential for oscar nominations and a lot of buzz around it and did it live up to what everyone was expecting we are talking about napoleon a film of course by ridley scott it's going to be a very interesting talk tonight, and we've got some great folks to talk all about it. Let's welcome back to the show, Alan Porter. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me on the show to talk about this movie. Uh, it was funny. As soon as I mentioned, you know, we, we were going to be reviewing it, you were, you were like knocking at my door like, hey, I want to be on it. Can I be on it? Definitely. Definitely. And we are joined also by Matt Sweatman. Welcome back, sir. Thank you for having me again. Glad to be here. And it's it's interesting because we were also supposed to have uh, Van Allen Plexico with us tonight, uh, but Van couldn't make it, but he's actually recorded a segment for the show. So we'll have him in our first break. So that'll be nice. His thoughts on the movie and such, because he was like so looking forward to this film. And it's going to be interesting to talk all about it and, you know, see how it how it, how we thought of it and such. 
We definitely would love to hear from you guys at home. So please write us feedback at earthstation1.com and we will be spoiling the movie. So if you haven't seen it or read a history book, please go ahead and do that. You know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't know how much of the history books tied into this movie in a lot of cases, but we'll be talking all about that. So let's jump in with both feet. Uh, the movie was released uh, this on November 14th in Paris and then in the U.S. on the 22nd. And this is an Apple production, so um, you'll be seeing it streaming on Apple Plus real soon. And there's also supposed to possibly be a four-hour version of this film. So I'm going to be interested to see everyone's thoughts on it. Uh, Gross-wise, we always talk about that on the film. The movie uh, grossed $79 million worldwide and received mixed reviews. Um, it had a very positive opening at first with the reviews, but then as more and more people saw it, um, the Rotten Tomato scores dropped. And also, I think it's about 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, but we don't usually go by what uh, the reviewers and the critics say anyway. So, you know, it'll be very interesting to see how this film does. You know, and because it had the Thanksgiving weekend here in the United States to do that. And, you know, usually a lot of people, after they go for turkey and stuff, if they don't watch football, they go to the movies. And I expected a larger audience for this, truthfully. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? I expected it to do more over the Thanksgiving weekend, definitely. Um, but I think by that time, word of mouth was getting out. Yeah. Um, so... I think it may have been hit by that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's interesting. What about you, Matt? You were going to say something also. I thought this might also have been hurt by the lack of publicity. Um, you know, the, with, a, with the actor strike, they couldn't pu publicize it until very, very recently. Um, and I think a lot of people I talked to who weren't as up on the, what the movies were coming out, they were like, oh, there's a movie coming out about Napoleon. They hadn't even heard about it. So I think if you can't get people aware of it more, so those who don't go to movies every week, it seems like I do, but uh, um, for, if you can't get many of them excited about it, they're not going to show know to show up for it. No, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. And it's going to be, it's interesting that, you know, we're, you know, heading now into the holiday season because basically Thanksgiving is the, start of the holiday movie season and that's when a lot of people come back to the movies because fall is usually a very slow time other than horror movies and such right where as you know summertime you have all the big blockbusters it, thanksgiving is usually the beginning of when all the big dramas come out all the you know stuff you start expecting to see nominated for the Oscars and the Academy in the Academy Awards and Gold Globes and all those. So it's interesting to see that this and, you know, you had, you know, you had big names in this. I was, I didn't know what to expect though, because the last couple of things by Ridley Scott has been kind of iffy for me. And, you know, I love the, the, legend of napoleon and i love you know what i've read in the history books and no i'm not counting bill and ted's excellent adventure in that so you know so 
I thought that was the the, the historical record. Well, it's starting to be after watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting what Matt said about the publicity because I was psyched for this movie as soon as it was announced. So I've been like devouring every piece of news about it, every trailer, every mention. So I hadn't noticed that it hadn't necessarily been promoted that well because for me, I've been all over it pretty much from from day one. So that's an interesting observation, Matt, that maybe, you know, the general populace, if you like, um, just weren't aware of it, which I find somewhat amazing. But then again, I had a very biased view because like I said, I'd been steeping myself in it pretty much from the day it was announced. So I was pretty much the same way though, because after seeing the first trailer, it it looked amazing. It was mm-hmm. you know I wasn't expecting, especially with a Ridley Scott movie, that those scenes in the trailer were some of the best scenes in the movie. Because <laughs> usually with a Ridley Scott film, you get so much more than what just you see in the trailer. Yeah. And I don't want to bash it this early and everything. I'm trying not to and everything. But Judy and I went to go see it on Thanksgiving Day, actually. And we we were maybe us and maybe 10 other people in the theater and everything. And usually the theaters are packed on Thanksgiving. Interesting. I, I, I was lucky enough to actually go to a press screening, actually, on November 14th. Um, so two weeks before it came out. Um, and that was packed. Um, I mean, That's with, awesome. press, with press people, but it mm-hmm. was packed. Um, but it was interesting because a lot of press screenings you go to, people, when it's finished, the press people, they, they like just come out, write down their verdict scripts, give it to the studio rep and walk out, you know, maybe mm-hmm. chat very briefly. The lobby was full of people because everybody wanted to talk about this movie and again, not bashing it, but how it didn't live up to what we thought it was going in. Um, it generated an awful lot of conversation, which I don't normally see at press screenings um, because, you know, all hardened cynics. Um, so that I thought that was interesting um, that uh, it did generate an awful lot of uh, back and forth. That's interesting. Well, you want people to talk about the movies, when, especially at a press screening. You want people to discuss it. Yeah. But I don't think it was the kind of discussion that pe- they were expecting it. To, no, it was not. No. And everything. No. What about you, Matt? I'm uh, up for most major biopics. I'm a sucker for a biopic. Mm-hmm. Um, and Napoleon seemed like a natural. I mean, you know, there really hasn't been a major biopic for Napoleon decades in decades. So it seemed like it filled a void. Um, so I was hoping that I would get a better feel for how he was perceived in today's, by today's uh, filmmakers. I mean, cause sure. a lot of times, a lot of times each, especially when you have that long of period between biopics, you get a different, perspective uh political attitudes may change he may have been considered more of a hero than he would be to a modern audience uh so i kind of wanted to see how how maybe the perception of him had changed over a generation or two um i don't know if the movie was nuanced enough to really tackle that at any depth though unfortunately yeah i I will say it was one of the things for me um 
I didn't when I came out of it at the end, I didn't know what point Ridley Scott was trying to make about Napoleon. Whether he wanted us to like him, whether he wanted us to dislike him, whether he wanted us to appreciate what he'd done, whether he wanted us to think he was a monster. I, I couldn't I, tell. I couldn't tell. I couldn't get a handle on what it was that Ridley Scott was trying to say, and not just with the movie, but actually um, the end titles, uh, the, the, the stuff they put up right at the end of the movie on the title screen, it was like, well, you just sort of undermined the last two and a half hours of the movie with the stuff that you put up on the, on the entitled, like with the death tolls from the battles and stuff like that. And it was like, what point are you trying to make? I, mm. I yeah. So um, to Matt's that point. A, that he was a monster that he killed, you know, yeah. his people died under his command. Command. Yeah. Like, yeah. But you're yeah. also talking about him being one of the greatest tacticians in history. And it's like, uh, what are you? Yeah. No, yeah. the movie never felt focused. That was no. my problem with it. And it felt, it was funny. It felt rushed. It didn't go into much detail. It just went boom, 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 boom through. But there was points where it felt like it dragged. And I went to see it with my wife. And, you know, usually she's the one, Shh, don't bother me. Don't bother me during a movie or something. If, if I have a comment or something. An hour into the movie, she says, have we been here two and a half hours already? You know, and it's like, no, we've got another hour and a half. And she says, oh, God. <laughs> and for her to do that, you know, yeah. that's that's pretty bad. You know, it just didn't it didn't feel it just was like, OK, let's do a Viewmaster shot of Napoleon's life. OK, click here. He was a young soldier watching the beheading of, you know, Marie Antoinette. Click here. He's, you know, fighting the English at the army. Click here. He, you know. And it's like, slap, 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 slap. It it didn't feel rushed. Was he hoping that people would see this and say, oh, this is too rushed. You know, it's not enough detail. And we want the four-hour version of this. Something. That's what it felt like to me. It felt like I sat through a two-and-a-half-hour trailer. Yeah. For the four-hour movie. Because it did feel like, the, uh, you know, there was points where it, it cut to white and then you jump to a next. I mean, it even looked like it had been hastily done in the cutting room because some of the transitions were so jarring um mm -hmm. you know it's uh yeah it did feel like you know did i just blink out and miss a chunk of the 15 minutes of the movie or 20 minutes of the movie because jump sets you know you got people who were set up and then their character arcs never paid off or they'd set up and then they'd come back an hour later and you're like who was that again um and then there was other people who suddenly became important who you hadn't seen before and i was like yeah it, it felt very disjointed mm -hmm. and i think it's this theatrical cut I, i'm hoping it's this theatrical cut this. Are you going to actually watch the four-hour version? Oh, yeah, it actually made me, to your point, it actually made me want to watch the four-hour cut. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, because I think that I think that's the canvas he wanted to tell the story. Sure, sure. No, that yeah. totally makes sense. I'm iffy on that. I'm not 100% sure I'll be coming back to this project. You know, right. if, you know, if I'm sitting on a rainy Saturday or something and it's on and I know I'm not going to be doing anything for the rest of the day. I'll watch it. Right. You know, so. It depends what's in that missing hour and a bit, because if it's another hour and a bit of the, 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 the weird marriage stuff, then no, I don't. If it's an hour and a bit of the missing stuff, the, the missing historical and political stuff, then yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. No, I agree completely that, you know, there, it felt like there was a lot more 
political, like you said, political and, you know, his battles and the way he rose to power was missing. Yes. Just, it almost felt like the way they portrayed it, it almost felt like he was just at the right place at the right time, that he wasn't the great tactician that, you know, that he history has shown him to be. That, you know, it just showed that, you know, he was happened to be at the right time, right place at the right time with the different rebellions or the different power takeovers and such. And it was just like, you know, Napoleon was just, you know, thrown in there. And that's the way this film made me feel. Yeah. I mean, it didn't really show the fact that he would change sides. You know, he very much, you know, mm-hmm. would sense which way the wind was starting to blow and very subtly you know, change sides. I mean, he was a very strong supporter of Robespierre. You don't get that in the movie. And the fact that when he saw things were going, he very subtly shifted over to the next faction. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, he was staunchly anti-royalist until he, you know, became that he realized that maybe he could be the king or the emperor or whatever. And the whole thing of him just become, it's like he became emperor overnight. And it was like, well, you know, how did that happen? Um, and, you know, and yeah, there's, and the battles, I mean, you know, they, they miss Italy. His, its Italian campaign gets dealt with in a sentence, um, mm. and really, that's what him—you know—taking his troops over the Alps and um, conquering Italy, basically setting setting himself up as a dictator in Italy and having a court and a palace and stuff, which he then played down when he came back to France. None of that's in there. The Battle of Trafalgar does not get mentioned at all. Right, uh, and you know his big naval defeat and really, you know, that's what seeded a lot of his hate for the British, which they play up later in the movie. They made the, you know, the, the made up line about you only think you're great because you've got boats. Well, if you don't know about the battle of Trafalgar, that doesn't make sense. Um, and you don't yeah. understand why he's, he's so antagonistic against the British and why the, you know, so yeah, there's, there's, uh, and then the Egypt thing, they really cut down um, a lot of the stuff. They didn't talk about his campaign against the Ottoman empire. Anyway, it says at the end he fought 66 battles, and what did we see? We saw the, the edited highlights of three, mm-hmm. four. Um, yeah, it's... And that included Waterloo. And that included Waterloo, yeah. Um, which, by <laughs> the way, is where, where my interest in Napoleon started from, is the 1970 Waterloo movie, and that's still a much better um, depiction of Waterloo than the Ridley Scott one, I think. So... As long as, as long as you didn't say the ABBA song is what got you interested. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was a few you years know. later. Exactly. Well, you remember, you know, yeah, at yeah. Waterloo, Napoleon did surrender. And, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's Sorry, a shame I'm not, we didn't. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to sing. <laughs> well, it's a shame we didn't get more of the battles because I think uh, the movie was at its strongest in those battle scenes we did get. Oh, true. Um, I, I think they're, they're spectacularly uh, portrayed. I saw it in a Dolby uh, theater, and every time one of the cannons was shot, you felt it. Um, in fact, which helped, maybe I would be dozing in some of the scenes going into it, but once you got to a battle, <laughs> the seat woke you up in that theater. So if you are going to see it, I do recommend for that experience, you go to a theater that has a good sound system because you those battles really do come to life. So you know, thinking about good stuff to say, that's really what I was wanting to pin, pin on is that the battle scenes were very well choreographed and shot. And I would have liked, like you said, we only see three or four of them when they, when he had 66, according to the movie. So I, mm-hmm. I would, I would like to have seen more of some of his other campaigns because it focused a lot on the, uh, 
the the Russian invasion. A lot was focused on that, maybe a little too much, even though it was a pretty major event. Right. But right. even that, they deal with a lot of it in dialogue afterwards. They don't really give you that sense of suffering that those guys went through. Um, um, sorry, I'm really beating on this movie, but um, it's not one that's aged well with time. Let's put it that way. The more I think about it, the more issues I see with it. You know, there's the whole thing about, you know, his soldiers were so loyal and and he, you know, one of the big things about Napoleon, like Caesar, is he won the trust of his his army. Mm-hmm. It like became his personal army. So when you get that scene at the end when he's returning from exile and the soldiers are sent to arrest him and they basically don't, they do a U-turn and actually declare him as emperor. That didn't feel earned in this mm-hmm. movie. No, not at all. And it was like it I've you know, I've read books and like you said, he in in real life, he you know, he had the trust of his his army, his lieutenants everyone around him respected him you cannot tell that from this film it was just too rushed even when they were in egypt and you know you had the banter between you know napoleon and one of the other officers and that's when he found out that josephine was cheating on him and you know had had a lover and it was like that didn't feel it didn't feel natural it was just like, here comes the next plot point, boom, and everything. And it just, it didn't fit. I hate to say it, too. Because, like Alan said, I don't like that we're beating up on this movie right from the very beginning mm-hmm. and everything. I will say there's the plus, one of the pluses for this was the cinematography was beautiful and everything. And, you know, the scenes, you know, but that it started me thinking like, okay, how much of is it real or how much of it is, you know, CGI now. And yeah, it, I did, I did watch an interview he, he did with the, the history hits channel on YouTube. Um, just really good, by the way, for your history nut. Um, and he talked about the fact that he did like the close-up shots and stuff were, and the close-ups of the you know, soldiers. And that was practical effects was, extras you know he would have you know mm-hmm. maybe a thousand extras or whatever but then when he needed you know the ten thousand guys in the back they would be cgi oh really but if the the, the ones that you actually saw interacting with each other it, with each other and we're in the you know the the close-up and the mid-ground of those shots they were actual um practical effects and actual soldiers and extras and stuff um and, and then he would do you know, like the the squares at, at Waterloo, I think he said he did four of them in real life, and then all the others are like that you see, like going out to the distance, uh, CGI. That was I did like that water the scene with the you know with the ice. That was just that was a great yeah. shot. That was a wonderful... that was beautiful, but historically inaccurate, <laughs> <laughs> and given away in the trailer as well. And given away oh, in the trailer. Well, yeah. That was one of the things in the trailer that like yeah. caught my attention. Oh, this is gonna be great. He he did do it, but it, I think it, that depending on which historical source you think, I think the most people that drowned are anywhere between two and two hundred. Um, not the thousands that it looked like on the, on yeah, the movie. It's one of them sinking to the bottom, drawn, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean there was that beautiful talking of the cinematography, there's the beautiful shot of the Russian Lancer 
on his own, charging across the ice with all the stuff going off behind him, and then you know he falls through the ice. Beautiful, mm. beautiful shot. But it was like, yeah, you've been doing that for the last five minutes. We get the point. He broke the ice, and the guys fell in. You didn't have to like keep, you know, going. Yeah, it, it, but it was a beautiful shot. You know, oh, yeah. it, it made no sense story wise. So, and did everyone who got who fell on that also have gotten hit by the cannonball because they all came in with a bloody red splash? Yeah, you'd have thought at least some of them would have fallen in without being directly hit by the cannonball, and therefore wouldn't necessarily have the bloody splash. So. That seemed a little overdone to yeah. me as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I agree. It would have been actually more moving, truthfully, after all the different people you saw being with the cannonballs throwing. The Lancer, the guy with the Lancer, you know, running away from, you know, trying to get away and just the ice giving out and him just going through, not showing, you know, just yeah. that would have been a better scene. And yeah. it's like, okay, boom, you know. Yeah, I, I will say cinematography-wise, um, and it's it, it was beautifully shot, beautifully staged. But again, it's this modern movie thing. I mean, he did it in Gladiator too. This grey tone that seems to be put on historical movies um, that sort of washes out a lot of the colour. And if, if you look at the production shots, they all had very colourful costumes on, and it was you know, and a lot you know. The, again, going back to the military history stuff, that, that was uniforms that they wore at that stage were beautiful colors and bright reds and blues and plumes and stuff and it all had this sort of grayish to me this grayish tint wash over the on the palette um and I wonder, I, yep the yellow palette when they were in egypt and stuff it was a bit on the nose i thought yeah i wonder if they did that purposely to represent the era of the po- the politics and everything I don't know, but but the area area itself was very colorful, you know. Oh, no, no, no. I I agree. The costumes and everything. And because I noticed it, you know, it would have been great if they did something like that. Like, just this is just me saying. And, you know, when they beheaded Marie Antoinette at the very beginning of the movie, they it was all colorful before that. And then when they beheaded her, it grayed a little bit. And then after napoleon was finally exiled at the end the the color came back or something like that would have been just it would yeah. have been a neat little theme yeah the marie antoinette thing is rubbish too she he was not there he was in too long on that date so sorry i'll get off my history not so far, so. <laughs> and i don't know why they did that because they explained everything perfectly well in the, in the opening crawl they didn't actually need that scene i didn't think but no, they wanted to go for the shock value of them lifting her head up and showing it yeah. to the crowd and everything. Yeah, that would have made more sense if somehow that they showed that that affected him in some way, that somehow seeing that galvanized him to do what he did. I don't I don't know that um I think historically I've always thought of him more as the, he he took the, he was an opportunist when it came to the uh, French Revolution. In the reign of terror, but if they wanted to show him having some kind of reaction or some kind of opinion one way or the other on the the, the justice of it or, or lack thereof, it would have been nice if they had had some kind of like it affected him somehow. But it was just he just happened to be there. But other than yeah. that, it had very little effect. So that yeah. seemed disappointing. If you're if you're going to change history for dramatic purposes, make it dramatic. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. make it dull. Yeah. 
Yeah, you just made a good point about what he did. I mean, to me, that was one of the other things we took, you know, we talked about the battles and stuff, but they never actually talked about what he did for France. Like the introduction of the Napoleonic Code, which still drives the French legal system today. You know, how he basically brought a lot of order back into a country that was in complete chaos. Um, Yeah, there was some downsides, like he really introduced slavery, um, but there was also, you know, other things that he did do in terms of, uh, you know, bringing that country back into a stable, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I was going to say a stable democracy, but it wasn't a democracy, um, but into a stable mm-hmm. stable culture, if you like. Um, and as I said, laid the foundation of a lot of stuff that sort of created modern France. None of that is is even mentioned, um, at least in this version. So you don't really get a sense of what he did. I think mm-hmm. you've got a sense of what he didn't do and where his failures were you don't really get a sense of why he is perceived as a great man flaws and all but i don't know i didn't I, that didn't come out of me out of this movie for me it's interesting I, that the fact because you know a lot of people who are its biggest supporters are this movie's biggest detractors <laughs> you could say so what are you gonna say matt well i was just gonna ask because you know, getting to the performances and getting to, I guess, if you want to say the heart of the movie, the relationship between him and Josephine and the portrayal by Joaquin Phoenix and Vanessa Kirby. Mm-hmm. Is there any evidence? I know we don't have video, but is there any evidence that he was weird and awkward like Joaquin Phoenix, who pretty much plays every role that way, was sort of portrayed him here? Is that... Oh, as the horn dog type thing? Yeah. How how accurate was some of that stuff? I'm I'm not sure how to... I don't know that we do know if we do know if there evidence that this could be a legitimate idea of how he may have been. I think the only evidence we sort of have is his letters, um, which apparently were, what was the one description I read? Um, well, he was clearly besotted and they were sophomoric borderline pornographic to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but she never actually opened them and read them. Um, I think she was the opportunist who hooked herself to the guy on the rise there. Um, and yeah, she, it, it is well documented that she did ha- did take several lovers. And so did he actually. And he had several illegitimate children. So um, not just the one that they talk about in the movie. Um, and so, yeah, they seem to have a very strange, from modern eyes, a very strange relationship. But I think it almost went to the point of caricature in the movie, I think. It didn't fit. It was like, it was just like, Oh, it's just Joaquin being Joaquin again, you know, basically it's just being, you know, weird. And it was just like, you know, he's all serious. He's this, you know, soldier, he's this leader. And then all of a sudden, as soon as, soon as the door closes, they're sitting at the table and he goes, you know, and it's just like, what, you know, it just, it, it threw out the character out the window in a lot of ways. But, you know, what did we like about this movie? Was there anything we liked? You know, was there positives? Uh, I mean, I, I beat up on where it's been historically inaccurate. There was a lot of areas where it was historically accurate. Um, some, you know, the battle scenes, um, the bits they showed of the battle scenes, I think on the whole, there was a couple of things in Waterloo that weren't, but that's my... 
that's my area of interest in the, in the whole Napoleon saga is Waterloo. So I sort of picked up on that. But from what I know, I mean, the whole thing of it, that first battle uh, where he he was nervous beforehand and he sort of cured his nerves by charging to the front of his troops and storming the the, the things at night, um, getting his horse blown down from under him, under him. From what I've read, that was pretty accurate. The horse um, took a cannonball. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And he actually apparently did go and retrieve the cannonball from his horse's body the next morning and say, give it to my mother. That was historically accurate. Really? Um, yeah. Um, and the fact he got wounded in the leg. So there was stuff in the battle scenes. Like I said, um, you know, the one on the lake went a little bit over the top, but the actual tactics he used and the way he did it was was good. Uh, you know, what happened when he got to Moscow, that was historically accurate. So there was a lot of historically accurate stuff in there was a lot of frames in there where they actually recreated famous paintings of Napoleon. Like if you'd have frozen that frame, it's like, I know that painting. Oh, uh, okay. So like the coronation one, the divorce, um, the certain set scenes, like if, if you've seen a lot of paintings and stuff of Napoleon contemporary paintings, it's like they, they've restaged that scene, like almost a hundred percent accurately. Uh, and actually, I'm going to talk about this. One thing that actually Anna was probably the only person in the theatre who actually got this, um, but I was absolutely delighted to see there was a couple of scenes with a very senior black officer in the first half of the movie. Mm -hmm. He was he was one of the guys who, during the coup, who basically arrested one of the senators. And then there was another point where Napoleon was giving a briefing and he was sat next to Napoleon and he was involved in the briefing. They didn't say who he was, but I I am... 100% certain that that was General Thomas Alexander Dumas David de la Palatère, who is actually the father of Alexander Dumas, who wrote The Three Musketeers. Really? Yeah. Wow. And he was he was one of Napoleon's favorite colonels and generals until he became a little too popular uh -huh. when they were in Egypt. And on the way back from Egypt, he was basically um, arrested and thrown in a Austrian um prison and ransomed and napoleon would not pay his ransom and he basically festered in napoleon uh in austrian prison for like years and years and years um and it's generally believed that that story is what was dumas um uh influence that why he wrote the count of monte cristo um because it, it was about his father yeah no 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 i know wow um but actually so if you um so uh, General Dumas is actually the uh, the uh, subject. And the reason I know this is a really great book called The Black Count uh, by Tom Reese. It won like the Pulitzer Prize for biography. Um, it's his story. It's about Dumas Sr.'s, um, the general's story. And if you want a really good alternate view on the rise of Napoleon, because he was there alongside Napoleon all the way through um, Italy and Egypt and stuff. Um, it's a really riveting uh, read about this extraordinary man who had this amazing son. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's a really cool. So when I saw him in the movie, I was like, major major bonus points for me for for that because I sort of found him in you know spotted him in the movie. Um, unfortunately, like I say, I don't know whether they do in the four hour version, but in this one they didn't even like give him a name check or anything like that, which is a shame. But uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, for me that was that was a major high in this movie. It was actually a lot of the supporting characters that historically important supporting act supporting characters that did pop up um, in in the movie. It almost felt like there were parts in the movie 
just by what we saw, if you didn't know history, he thought Napoleon was pulled pulled along by his brother in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, he was. His brother was the, his brother maneuvered, certainly in the early days, and got him a lot of his commissions and maneuvered him and then basically got rewarded by being made king of Spain. Um, which they didn't even touch on in the movie. Which they didn't touch on, yeah, yeah. And everything. He just disappeared from the film. Yeah. As many characters did. Yes. Exactly. Matt, was there something that you liked about it? Um, I did like the scene where the um, where it was, they were clear that they the the English and you know the other powers viewed Napoleon as sort of this common thug who just had risen to power. The aristocracy certainly looked down on him from that perspective, and and how and when they sort of ganged up uh, to ambush him, so to speak. Um, I did I did enjoy that because again when you think of Napoleon you think of this great historical leader but to think that he didn't come from he wasn't he, he you know he he was made, not necessarily the the most classically educated he, he wasn't necessarily the most um certainly not intellectual but I wouldn't call him that either so that was an interesting um I, again, I don't know. Alan might can say more of the historical accuracy of some of that. Uh, I would like to hear what he says on that. But uh, it, it was it, it was it was definitely a different take than I think I'd come into looking at it through. Yeah, I, there was. I think they did that very well, particularly at the end. I think they did actually mm -hmm. set up Waterloo really well, and the fact that you know you've got this coalition of powers who basically had enough of this upstart who's been rampaging around Europe for the last 20, 30 years, and we're going to put him down. Um, I thought that that was set up really well. Um, but again, it came a bit out of the blue because, you, you know, you never heard them talk about really talk about the English got mentioned occasionally. You never heard him really talk about the Prussians before. It was all about, as you said, the Austrians and the Russians. They never really mentioned anything else. Mm, um, Russia came out of nowhere. In this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they did that very well. I mean, one of the things that got me interested in in the life of Napoleon in the first place, like I said, was, you know, as a kid seeing the Waterloo movie. Um, and then over the years, you read the the British stuff and you're like, yeah, you started to realize, some, you know, quite a lot of it is, is propaganda stuff. You know, the whole story about him being short, complete, that's total British propaganda is not historically accurate. Um, you know, him being a short, pot-bellied guy was totally British cartoonist and propaganda. Um, so there was a lot of stuff that um, I, I sort of wanted to read beyond, if you like, as I was growing up um, and got to got to sort of study him a bit more. Um, but, yes, I think all the way through was all, always the thing. I mean, you know, the movie poster was like he came from nothing. Not really true. He actually came from a relatively wealthy family um, who, again, switched sides when Corsica was uh, taken over by the French. They were initially anti-French and then they realized the French were actually going to take over Corsica and they suddenly became very pro-French um so you know um well, that happens yeah exactly so you know he he did come from a pretty good background um he you know he but he, there was something about him that basically seemed to appeal to older men in power who sort of took him under their wing and promoted him and 
stuff until he got to the point where he he sort of surpassed them. So, uh, I, but yeah, it was de- definitely didn't. He came from a wealthy family, but he was definitely not aristocracy, and I I think that really did um, get under the skin of a lot of the other powers um, that were all monarchies, um, and you know stuff like that as to you know how can this guy just become an emperor when he's just common stock or whatever so you know mm-hmm. i think it was a degree of classic you know class envy or whatever you want to call it um there yeah good 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 point matt mm-hmm. they had no problem sending him into exile the first time you know after what happened in russia so it was just like yeah it was just it was interesting and everything they were very quick to turn against him yeah, in France, the French aristocracy were very, very quick to turn against him, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting. What else, Matt? Anything else? Like I said, I was really hanging my hat on the battles are good as far as my good part. <laughs> so I've kind of spent a little bit on what I liked about it. Um, I think I, I want to read more, see more perspectives on it. Uh, before I delve into a four-hour version of this story, I, I would rather see an... Uh, I'd rather read in real history, not necessarily just dramatizations. I would like to bone up a little bit on that because that's the Napoleonic years is a bit of a weakness in my historical uh, uh, learning. And it's something I definitely need to bone up on. If I'm depending on this movie to teach me, that's not a good thing. I, I got the feeling. No, like I said earlier, you learn more from Bill and Ted, so it's okay with that. But yeah, it's it's interesting to be able to watch this and i don't know if it's just because this is what people are expecting in today's culture what but it almost felt like quick cut quick cut quick cut you know type thing and i would have loved to learn more about what was going on or were they just waiting to do that for the four-hour version and that's what you know i kept on having in the back of my mind the whole time and did i like the film there was a lot to like about um the acting was the acting was great i can't fault the actors can't can't really agree with the story and the cuts and the directing all that much but you know i liked what i saw i would agree it was very well acted um, i thought vanessa kirby was absolutely standout mm-hmm. uh, very much so yeah, you know, and it's interesting being released from her being released in prison to you know when she was, you know, met up with Napoleon, and it was just it was just interesting, and of course you know the Whovian in me was like, oh, Reign of Terror, Doctor Who, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, the first yeah. Doctor must have been in that area, so you know, sorry, I had no, it, I, sorry, I was pretty much the same, looking for the TARDIS in the background, exactly. <laughs> Well, I kept I kept thinking when the um, when the uh, it, toward the beginning of the movie when the uh, you know the people were revolting against the uh, the aristocrats, I kept thinking Les Misérables, <laughs> and that's <laughs> and it's and I kept thinking, okay, no, no, this is not that story. This is just a this is just uh, setting the tone for a different story. No, I was also thinking of History of the World Part One, so it's okay. <laughs> it's good, good to be the king. <laughs> Uh, for that matter, time bandits. I mean, you know. That's true, actually. Yeah. 
That is, you know, so it, this era has been referenced many, many, many times. And, you know, and Napoleon is such a, a character in history that, you know, most people, even if they haven't studied him, haven't, you know, researched him, they know who he is. And they might not know exactly his story. And I don't think this is a good example for it. For them no, I, I, I think his story is so epic. His life is so epic. And the things that he did was on such a large scale. But, I mean, he literally, you know, ended up impacting 20% of the Earth's surface, you know, the whole of the continent mm-hmm. in that short time span. I think to try and take on his whole life may have been a mistake. I think he, Ridley Scott may have been better. Maybe don't do Waterloo because it's already been done. But, you know, I don't think we've ever had a, a film that's like focused on Moscow and the retreat from Moscow. It's referenced a lot like it was in this one. But, you know, maybe take that, the build up to why he felt he could do that. And then the fallout from it happening and him being exiled or something. But I think he would have been better off. Uh, and maybe his thing, maybe this movie shouldn't have been Napoleon. Maybe this movie should have been Napoleon and Josephine. And they focused on that or they mm-hmm. focused, pick, you know, a couple of things. Um, Haven't they done stories on Napoleon and Josephine though before? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. But I don't know. That's why I felt this movie was couldn't make up its mind whether it was Napoleon's greatest hits or Napoleon and Josephine. Um, and I think in trying to tell his whole story, I think it was too certainly too too much for two and a half hours, which is why I'm interested to see what the four hour ten minute version is going to be like. You'll report back to us on that. I'm I sure. will. Yes. Yeah. Of course. As you can tell, I will probably have opinions. No, Alan, really, I'm shocked. Yeah, I know. I never have opinions about anything, do I, Mike? No, never, never, ever, ever. In the whole time, how many years have I known you now? (laughs) You've been just a little bit opinionated there. So it was interesting, and I agree with what you were saying, that they should have focused either on one part, not his whole life. And it technically, it wasn't even his whole life. It was just he was already in the military and everything by this t- by the time the beginning of the movie, and you know, it and it just rushed and rushed and rushed and rushed, but it moved so slow for a rushing film, and and I don't mean a Russian film, rushing film for people who want to correct me there. It was interesting, and I'm curious to see the reaction. When the awards come around, um, do you think this movie is going to be ignored or do you think it's going to, people are going to actually try to recognize it for certain things? I wouldn't be surprised if it wins some technical Oscars, like cinematography, sound design. You're talking about the battle. Sound in the battle scenes was great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's sort of there, but um, and maybe even... Vanessa Kirby, maybe for best supporting actress or lead. I don't know. I don't know if she's supporting Definitely not lead, a best actress. But right. not a best actress. No, and I don't think Joaquin Phoenix would be up there either. I I don't know. It just, yeah. I'd be surprised if it gets nominated for any of the bigger ones. So watch it get like 12 nominations now. But, yeah. That would be interesting. What about you, Matt? 
Well, I was going to say they they do allow up to ten best picture nominations now, so it may squeeze in for a best picture nomination. But I agree with Alan. I think it's going to be all over the uh, technical awards, cinematography, sound. I think it's going to do well there. So it's it's going to get some nominations, but I've seen a couple of other movies that I think may have a better shot at some of the larger awards. Killers of the Flower Moon is one that jumps out at me as I as I as I'm saying this. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to fall short of of being the big movie or, or one of the big movies come Oscar night. It'll be very interesting to see because I could see costumes also, you know, very much so. Yeah, because they captured the era very nicely. But you, like you said, Alan, the colors weren't there, so that might have hurt it. You don't know. So, you know, we usually do ratings at the end of the show. You want to go ahead and give this one out of five stars, one being the worst, five being the best. And remember, we can't go under one. So, you know, I'm going to get let Matt go first on this one. I'll feel fairly generous in giving it a two and a half, 2.5. Because um, I, 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 I came out of it not hating it. I, I came out of it not thinking I wasted my time. I did come out of it think that I don't necessarily need to see it again. So yeah, I'm gonna stick right down the middle, about two and two two point five. Okay, Alan, I'm, I'm gonna go the same two point five. I, I will say for the two and a half hours, I, even though I knew there was things there, was like, why did they do that? I was engaged for the two and a half hours. I think partly because I was waiting for it to really get to the point. Um, but yeah, and visually, some of it is stunning. Um, like I said, the cinematography is great. There's some great shots. There's some stuff that I was like. Yes, they got that perfect. So, you know, it, it was not a complete disaster. I don't hate it. Um, and yeah, I'm willing to give it a an extended second chance. So I'm, I'm going to give it a two and a half as well. Okay. I hate to do this because I'm going to agree with you guys on this one. You know, two and a half, middle of the road. It wasn't the worst movie I've seen this year. Far from the best. So I definitely am glad we reviewed it. I'm glad I had you guys here to talk to me off the ledge a couple times <laughs> with it. But I I definitely think middle of the road. Folks, if, you know, this is my opinion, I would wait for, you know, don't go see it at the movies. Wait for it streaming. Or if you want to rent it, like Redbox or something like that, or Amazon, definitely wait for that. Or if you so wish, the four-hour version is coming very, very soon to an Apple Plus TV streaming service by you so you definitely check about check it out we're going to take a quick break now and we'll be back and we'll close up the show This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. I hope that if you all got a chance to go out and see some movies over the long holiday weekend that you had a great time and saw some good stuff. I personally didn't get a chance to go see Napoleon or Wish, but I had a really good excuse as the day before Thanksgiving, my husband and I adopted a beautiful baby boy. So if you hear um, some extra sounds in the background, that's my um, co-host tonight for recording this blurb. But yeah, looking forward to catching up on those eventually. There are some new movies coming out before we get to the really big 
later December holiday releases. There's Renaissance, a film by Beyonce. Um, I expect this one to kind of get similar buzz to the Taylor Swift concert film. And it's nice for fans that can't quite afford those super expensive concert tickets to get to see some of their favorite performers on the big screen. There's also Silent Night, a uh, more violent holiday movie in the style of John Wick about a father who goes on a mission of vengeance. So if you're a fan of John Wick looking for something with a holiday spin, this might fill the bill. And also been hearing some good buzz about the movie Godzilla Minus One. And so if you're a fan of monster movies, might also recommend checking that out. That's it for this week's Box Office Buzz. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog content over on the ESO Podcast website. Recently reviewed the Hunger Games prequel, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the PBS Masterpiece series, World on Fire, and I recently just finished up Bones on Netflix So, lots of great content to dive into. It's a new era for Doctor Who. Life depends on change and renewal. And the crew from Earth Station Who podcast will continue to guide you through the past, present, and future of the franchise. Though not necessarily in that order. Join us for some wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey talk of stories new and old. Listen to Earth Station Who wherever you access your podcasts. We're a proud member of the ESO Network. We're all stories in the end. Hi, I'm Van Allen Plexico of the White Rocket Podcast, an occasional guest on this very network. I'm also a history professor who has spent much of his life studying the 19th century, the French Revolution, and the Napoleonic Wars. And Napoleon is my favorite historical character. So I was very appreciative when Mike asked me to come aboard and give you a quick review of my take on Ridley Scott's new Napoleon movie starring Joaquin Phoenix and Vanessa Kirby. I'm pretty sure I've seen every Napoleon movie and TV show from Abel Gantz's five-and-a-half-hour-long 1927 silent film through Marlon Brando's Desiree, Rod Steiger's Waterloo, even Bruce Campbell's Jack of All Trades series, which most insultingly featured many me as Napoleon. Funny but annoying to a Napoleon fan. And I've carefully monitored the news of Steven Spielberg supposedly producing Stanley Kubrick's aborted Napoleon epic film originally intended for about 1970. So I say all that to make it clear just how much I was feverishly anticipating Ridley freaking Scott doing a Napoleon movie, especially considering I adore, more than most people I think, his 2005 Kingdom of Heaven in the director's cut only, not the theatrical cut, which is terrible, and its underappreciated, unofficial sequel, Robin Hood, with Russell Crowe. Watch those two together, and trust me, it works. And while I wanted Daniel Bruhl in the title role of Napoleon, I figured Joaquin Phoenix would be just fine, considering the caliber of actor he is, and that Ridley Scott is so comfortable working with him. I was disappointed the great Jodie Comer had to drop out of the role of Josephine, but again, I figured Vanessa Kirby would be just fine. So, yeah, as it turns out, those two actors and their performances together comprise one of my two main disappointments in this movie. I'm not sure what exactly they were going for, but honestly, a lot of their interactions come across almost like a Saturday Night Live skit. Their performances basically reduce Napoleon and Josephine to almost cartoon caricatures, and the script only makes it worse, depriving either of them of really much motivation or backstory. 
I wish I understood what either of them was really going for with their performances, but I don't. There's very little Napoleon in Phoenix's Napoleon. I guess Kirby is trying to be mysterious and seductive, but it comes across more like a parody than, than real seduction. The other big problem with the movie, which contributes to what I've just described, is that despite its two-and-a-half-hour runtime, there's just not enough time and space to do all the things it wants to do. It shows a little of almost everything, but doesn't show nearly enough of anything. So while very little is actually left out, almost nothing gets enough attention to be worth looking at to begin with. Just as you settle into a scene and try to soak it up, whoosh, you're off to something entirely different over and over. It's like a trailer of a much longer movie, and that's where I have hope. The hope here is that it really was sort of a theatrical trailer for the much longer version, four hours plus, coming to Apple TV Plus in a few months. Hopefully that will have the room to fill in all the stuff that's been skimmed over, and that includes the characters and the performances. Surely there's a lot more that was filmed that will allow us to get to know Napoleon and Josephine and appreciate them and their relationship more than what we saw here. The best parts of this movie are all of the set pieces that don't really involve characters so much as just showing us visual grandeur. The battles for sure, which I'm sure the guys have talked about, but also the Brumaire coup at St. Cloud was fantastic. I've waited years to see that in a movie. The coronation in Notre Dame looks great and so on. All of those parts of the movie look great and they're fantastic because they aren't harmed by the utter lack of character depth the way that the personal scenes are. The ones where we can just sit back and, uh, and absorb a giant vista, they don't need the character depth that the interactive scenes do, and those are the scenes that suffer. So those are my thoughts on Ridley Scott's Napoleon. I give it a B for effort and for how it all looks, and I'm going to keep an eye on the horizon for the movie I actually wanted and was hoping for, which may very well be coming to my Apple TV soon. Thanks to Mike and Mike and the ESO Network for inviting me aboard, and I'll see you guys later. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. First off, I wanted to thank Van Allen Plexico for his little audio moment and his review of Napoleon. And he gave it a B. So, you know, he must have seen something in this more than we did. So, you know, thanks again, sir. All right. Um, let me thank our guests for being here. Matt, thank you as always, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. Had a, had a blast. Now, anything you want to promote or shout out about? Uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, last Saturday, which would have been the the 25th, <laughs> for those who don't say it on different times than we're, we're here, um, I went to a meeting, uh, I went to a meeting of the Atlanta Gallifreyans and, uh, and I've been going for a few months this, this year and we had a chance to watch the, uh, the new episode as it aired or as it was released on Disney plus. So seeing it with a group of about 20, 22 people, a uh, very enthusiastic crowd. Uh, I had a blast and uh, anybody who's a doctor who fan, uh, we do it most, mostly third Saturdays of the month. And um, at the Sandy Springs library in Roswell. It's or very convenient for folks in Atlanta. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so, um, again, I, I just want to say that we had a great meeting and, uh, and, uh, you know, have, a, I have a lot of friends in that group and, uh, I really enjoyed it. That's awesome, sir. We'll have a link to the Atlanta Gallifreyans Facebook page. 
for folks to check it out in our show notes. And, you know, folks, if you're into Doctor Who anyway, check out our Doctor Who podcast, Earth Station Who. This week, we are actually reviewing The Star Beast, the first part of the 60th anniversary specials. It's going to be interesting. Did we like it? Did we not? Was it ranked with Napoleon? Who knows? We'll let you know. So we'll talk about it all. Check it out wherever fine podcasts are found. Earth Station Who is there. And you know what? It's one of the best Doctor Who podcasts that I host, so it's okay. You know, it's a good thing. And Alan, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you for having me on. I do appreciate it. And uh, listening to my unwanted opinions again, I really appreciate it. <laughs> Your opinions are always warranted on the show. It's okay. Anything okay. you want to shout out about, sir? Actually, I just want to make sure I did actually write a very quick review on my weekly newsletter a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if folks are interested in what I'm doing in terms of writing and uh podcasts and stuff like that and just general stuff that i'm up to in the pop culture world uh you can sign up for my free weekly newsletter at alanjporter.substack.com and uh, that comes out every friday and uh oh on the doctor who front i know this isn't the who podcast but i've actually there's a book coming out called outside in regenerates which is a whole bunch of essays by different writers on different Doctor Who episodes. And I have an essay in that about the first Doctor story, The Gunfighters. And that book, I think, is, is just starting to ship as we record this. So uh, That's it's awesome. uh, if available you, soon. Yeah, but folks, definitely check it out. It's definitely worth, you know, seeing. And, you know, Alan has tons of material out there. So look him up. He has some great stuff to check out. So I highly recommend him. My shout out real quick. Judy and I have been watching even more TV, of course. Shocker there. Um, and so we've been actually, we got caught up on the new season. Actually, I should say the first part of the season of The Crown. Season six is here and it completely dealt with Princess Diana and her passing. And it was interesting because I remember it very, very vividly, you know, waking up in 1997. And finding out that she had died in the auto accident and, you know, what led up to it and stuff. And they captured it really, really well. And it was, it was neat. You know, it's, it's fiction. There's no way people could know exactly what was going on between her and Dodie and, or, you know, whatever conversation she had with Charles and stuff like that. And the whole series of the crown you have to take with a grain of salt. It's not, you know, it's not like it's a biography or it's not like it, it's, you know, definitely based on, it's based on, you know, real people, but that's about it and everything. And it was very interesting to watch and see the second part of the season is going to be uh, coming in mid December, they said, and, you know, it's definitely going to be, you know, ending on a boom and it's going to be interesting. It's been a great series and I'm, but I'm glad they're bringing it to a close. So it should be very interesting to see. Definitely recommend it. It's up on Netflix and they, they don't do the weekly releases like other shows do and stuff. They just put it all out all at once. So it's definitely, you can power watch it pretty quickly. So definitely check out the crowd. All right, folks, that is going to wrap up our next episode of Earth Station One. It was fun talking to everybody, of course. And, you know, it was, you know, sorry if it seemed too ne that we were beating up on the movie, but 
sometimes movies deserve it, you know, and sometimes they don't, you know, and so, you know, take us for a grain of salt and we appreciate you sticking with us through all this. And that's the great thing of what's going on. As always, thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. Always remember that we couldn't do this without you. If you want to support the podcast, please check out our Tee Public store and get some really cool ESO Network swag. We also wanted to say thanks to all our patrons. You guys are the ones who keep us going here every week, and we do appreciate it. For as little as a dollar a month, you too can help support us here at Earth Station One. Check us out at patreon.com slash ESO Network. We also want to hear from you, so please write us anytime at feedback at earthstation1.com. Remember, you could also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found. And now Earth Station One could also be found in video format on YouTube. That's right. Hi, YouTube people. That's right. We also have a little bit of a bonus material for our YouTube watchers, listeners, whoever is paying attention to us up on YouTube. We have little bonuses each week. So a way of saying thank you. So when you get to see these lovely faces, you know, as my mom used to say, you have a face for radio. It's a good thing. So, you know, that's why we're in video format now and everything. So as always, my friends, thank you for listening on behalf of myself, Mike Faber. Of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, you are missed. You'll be back next week. Mr. Matt Sweatman, thank you as always. And Alan J. Porter, thank you, sir. Always great to see these smiling faces here and seeing you guys at home. Hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving here in the United States. Everyone around the world, hope you had some good bargain finding on Black Friday. That's all I can say. We will see you here next time on our Station One. Get a chance, like and support us, you know, and subscribe, you know. And if you made it this far, thank you, thank you, thank you. We do appreciate you. We'll see you next time here on our Station One. Peace, and we are done. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.